Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we'll be looking at a text for the first Sunday in Lent. For this episode, I am joined by Deborah Reinstra, author of Refugia Faith, Seeking Hidden Shelters, Ordinary Wonders, and the Healing of the Earth, and Dr. Mark Biddle, Hebrew Scholar and Dean of Faculty at Sophia Seminary. Before we begin our episode, a quick plug for one of Creation Justice Ministries' other programs, Blue Theology. Blue Theology is a place where current science and marine biology meets a theology of creation justice. Each summer, we host youth groups to engage in experiential learning, service projects, and contemplative practice with God's marine creation. We have outposts in North Carolina, Newport Beach, and Texas City, Texas, and registration is open now. To learn more, go to www.bluetheology.com. Our passage today is Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, um, start with the easiest softball of a question. Um, Where is creation in this passage? Everywhere. I want to say more than that. I mean, it's just yeah. We have not had a passage that that question no was this easy. Easy, that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. But it's it's sort of wonderful, you know, to think. I I I feel like this is a very underappreciated moment in scripture, um, because it's so universal, so comprehensive. This covenant with all things. And we tend to, I suppose, be anthropocentric and focus on the covenants with people. Um, The original sort of covenant moment in Genesis 1, and then, of course, the covenant with Abraham. And I I think we tend to gloss over this one, but it's so significant that God makes a covenant, yes, with you, you people, Noah, the family, but with all living creatures. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's important that we... We so often, when we talk about covenantal theology, we we hi- highlight a human. Um, there's a Noahic covenant. There's an Abrahamic covenant. There's a Davidic covenant. Um, but this is a covenant that is for the people who are coming out of the ark, but also for the creatures that are coming out of the ark. Um, that. <laughs> And for the and for the earth itself, for the world that's right. itself. 
Uh, That's right. Not to interrupt, but uh, the the literariness of this uh, in Hebrew is wonderful to me. a lot of good Hebrew styles, bad English style. Uh, and and in, and in this case, just the first announcement, he says, I, I think of his Venn diagrams and I get bigger. He said, I'm going to, with you, Noah, and with your sons, and with the animals that were with you in the ark, I mean, the birds and the beasts, and with all the living things on the, oh, and with the whole world. How about that? And, 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 and he, I, would, I would tell my students, you could just say, with the whole world and save all of that other stuff. Uh, <laughs> because it's, mm. it would encompass, but in, in Hebrew, it makes the point, you know, it slams it home that this is a universal covenant. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and an everlasting covenant, so that it becomes foundational for mm. all the other ones. It's not mm. superseded mm. by the Abrahamic or the Davidic covenants. Mm. It mm. is for all time. Mm. Or the new covenant, if you would use that language. Uh, uh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think one of the one of the observations then is that in a way that maybe, and again, Mark, I think thank you for highlighting the the ways that English sometimes does it as a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that we don't normally recognize from the English language that that creation is a is a is a um a partner yeah um yeah. creation yeah. is a um when you yeah. think of 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 two yeah. parts of an agreement that yeah. um yeah. covenant that the creation is 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 an active participant in this covenant um that a creation is is very much in relationship with God in a way that we don't often focus on and don't often highlight. And, and in a way that creation is living in a way that we, mm-hmm. we don't often take note of. And, and therefore, cause why, why else would God feel the need? Like you don't feel the need to make promises for most of us most of the time we don't feel the need to make promises to inanimate objects no we no. don't feel the need to make um to make commitments to inanimate objects you make commitments uh, and promises to things that are living a promise to my hydrangea we don't do that yes <laughs> <laughs> you could though you could I have I have certainly made made promises to things in my garden that I will do better next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I have sometimes made threats. You 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 will you you will bloom this year, or I will prune you. <laughs> yeah, I usually threaten the squirrels and the chipmunks. Well, there's that too. There's that too. Yeah. But well, the, you know that. I was going to say that leads us maybe backwards in the chapter to the interesting dietary business in the beginning of the chapter and, and the sort of uh, this moment where, where God says to Noah, look, you've been able to eat plants. That's great. And now you can eat, you can eat creatures too, but, and then there's this kind of careful limitation. And it's really fascinating to me, the the whole business of the blood that makes sense because blood is life. And this is a a gesture that says, look, God owns life. Life belongs to God. You can't, you don't get charge over that. So that's a way of establishing God's uh, ownership over the life of humans and creatures. 
And then this little phrase, I will demand an accounting from every animal Mm. for how you treat them. Mm. I don't think we Mm. dwell much in that phrase. (laughs) Um, Well, and 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 relatedly, this is a favorite passage of mine to deal with that whole, as as an Old Testament professor, to deal with that whole soul body stuff. Because the language here is, and with every nefesh hayah, with every, all the nafshot hayot, all the living nefeshes. Now, um, (laughs) if you translate that, I mean, you're back to that old silly thing, do dogs have souls? Um, I don't don't remember who it was that said, we don't have soul, we are soul, we have a body. And and, uh, that's, Mm. but but this whole business of the animal world is nefesh hayah just like we are. And that's... uh, that's mm-hmm. that's fascinating to think about. Mm. Yeah, I was just um, teaching in my environmental literature class yesterday. Uh, we read some passages from a scholar called Keith Thomas, who read everything, I think, in the British Library from 1500 to 1800 to see what they had to say about animals. And um, I chose passages for my students that I thought were a little bit provocative. And, and they read about some of these ideas theologically backed that sort of uh, peaked with Descartes that animals not only had no souls, but were basically machines. They were mechanistic, had no feelings. And, you know, my students were horrified by this. (laughs) But this this whole argument over the soul had its kind of reductio ad absurdum uh, in that period for reasons. You know, we talked about this too. Like, if you don't think that animals have a nefesh, then you're not going to care how you right, treat them. Right, right, you can right, modify right. them. You can create right, industrial right, agriculture. Right, no right, guilt. Right, right. But here's a testimony in the scripture, an everlasting covenant that God says, no, no, I pay attention mm-hmm. to how you mm-hmm. treat these creatures. You can eat. That's okay. But, mm-hmm. and it's the, the honoring of that life, not only in the creatures, but in other people. So there's a reestablishment mm-hmm. of the image of God language here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't we don't pay that much attention to this. And once again, no. it's not like this was superseded. No, no, no. Well, and and how interesting is it that the elevation of sort of the souls of animals, which is really what's happening here, happens in the space where God allows humans to eat them. That's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think my reading of that text is you have to read it as a concession. Mm. Uh, mm. It's not like God said, okay, here, I'm going to give you a second course for this meal. Uh, mm. It was like, I think, I, I mean, remember the whole um, flood thing began with God's recognition that the people just, they're, the only thing they were thinking about at the time was violence. Mm. Said, that's the only thing in their hearts and and mm. um and so um i think there's a little slight concession here mm. uh, not a not a here uh, this is the way i would uh, would really like for it to be but rather okay i'm gonna let you do that uh, mm. and, and that's 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 very i think very important i personally struggle with that um mm. I, I have a i have a child who's a grown child who's a vegetarian and she she doesn't exactly condemn me but she looks at me funny you know every time 
every time I have every time I have a chicken breast or something. You know? And I go, yeah, you're you're. I know, I know. I we've reduced our consumption of meat a lot, and and we care about how they were raised and how they how they were slaughtered. But um, it, it's a concession. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Derek, I know we're supposed to focus on verses 8 through 17, but I am interested in your thoughts about uh, the sort of food prohibitions, the food generosity, the food prohibitions here from your point of view, doing the work you do with food justice. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I, I've, I've read this the way that um, Mark just explained uh, in that um I think that there there is a bit of a concession being made here that humans are going to eat animals. And I think that's that's the place where I kind of come down on on when we think about um, these questions about whether or not we we should or should not eat animals. I think humans are going to eat animals. And I think part of what this is calling us to though and this happened and this shows up even even more explicitly in the dietary laws um, mm -hmm. that you'll see in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and parts of Exodus is that there should be a reverence for any time a life is lost mm -hmm. and and we should we should see ourselves um, and, and I think this is particularly um, relevant for Lent, we should see ourselves as a part of a cycle of life that is lost for the sake of other life. Mm -hmm. um, and that we we consume and we are consumed. Um, we can be consumed and we are part of a cycle of things that are keeping life. And I think as we, mm -hmm. as what it, what it calls us to is, is, reverence i think for all that we eat mm -hmm. um, I, would, I, I would go a little bit further even mm -hmm. uh, i i have written about the kosher laws and mm -hmm. um uh, for the longest time like everybody else i thought they were what, what, hygiene or you know these animals are holy to some you know non-israelite cult and all those reasons but um I've come to see it rather in terms of uh, going all the way back to Genesis 1, all that priestly material mm. in the Bible, which is interested in how God orders things. The priests weren't scientists, but they were, <laughs> but they were pre-scientific. They were interested in, uh, you know, Genesis 1 is all about doing everything in a nice logical order and everything having its place. And um, by the time you come, you, I think you can read all the kosher laws uh, is falling into two categories. One of them is um, the animals that you can't eat include those that don't belong to a clear category. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're, they're fish, they're in the sea, but they don't have fins, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they chew the cud, but they don't have cloven hooves, that kind of thing. And I think the priest couldn't decide where to put them and sort of, sort of, and, and said, ah, we better, we, better, we better leave them alone. You know, they, they're... They're, they're 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 in liminal spaces in terms of zoology you know they don't know who it's the, just who the, taxonomical the, confusion yeah right so let's just let's leave let's let's leave them alone 
Uh, and the other ones are, uh, uh, is, you know, animals that themselves consume blood, scavengers and, and predatory mm -hmm. birds and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. so it's all about, I understand the priestly understanding is when you eat, uh, you should participate with God in God's order of things. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if you want to be God's people, then that means even when you eat, you should think about, am I um, cooperating, observing, sanctifying? You've got a lot of words you can use here. Um, mm -hmm. The very order God created into the universe. And I, that, I mean, that to me, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, but that's a, that's a, that I can, that, that's something I think which is incumbent on, ought to be incumbent on all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, when we sit down to eat, where did it come from? What, how was it treated? <laughs> uh, one of my sons, mm -hmm. when he got old enough to realize, whenever we would, just about three days of the week, when we'd sit down to eat, he would say, Mama, what was this when it was alive? Mm. And, oh. and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and he would always, <laughs> and, he, and he, when it was his turn to bless the food, he would always thank the chicken for, you know, and, and I, I thought that was, but that's fine. Good theology mm -hmm. from yeah. a seven-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're the best. Sometimes. And, and if, if nothing else, it just, it just helps us to recognize that eating has to be for, for those of us, for those of us of faith, eating has to be elevated to something other than fueling a machine. We're, we're, it's about a relationship. It's about mm -hmm. something more than just calories and things of that nature. Um, so, so, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to kind of keep the conversation um, with eight through 17, but also through one to 17. Um, what is, how is God calling us to interact with creation in, in this passage as we think about um, this covenant, this, this, these relationships, how is God calling us to interact with creation here? I think it's important to recognize that people hearing this passage, I know this is true for me, could have one of two maybe sort of main reactions. And one is, okay, so God promises never to destroy the world again through a flood. So you could have the reaction of, oh, good, we're fine. So all this talk about climate change, whatever, it says right here in the Bible, God will never destroy the world with a flood. Of course, the reaction could be, well, God could destroy the world in other ways, <laughs> like the song, you know, the fire next time, Right. no more water, the fire next time. But the other reaction could be, what if this is God's promise, this everlasting covenant, what is happening? Why does it seem like the world is being destroyed? with plenty of flooding. Uh, so I, I, I think the only answer to that either way is that yes, this is God's unilateral covenant as, okay, it's time to quote Ellen Davis, <laughs> as Ellen Davis says, and Walter Brueggemann too. This is, this is the, the universal everlasting covenant, but we can mess it up. Mm. We can break that covenant. God will be faithful despite our wickedness. It's not like Noah came off the ark and everything was pure and pretty again. This is a recommitment of God to this creation, despite 
its fallenness. Mm -hmm. And God won't break that covenant, but we can. Mm -hmm. And so the, the destruction that we see is our action. It's not God breaking this promise. Mm. And, the, and God's promise does not indemnify us. It's not as so we can do whatever we want because God has promised mm. that the world will persist. If I, God said, I won't destroy it, as you point out. If that does not indemnify us from our own actions. Uh, I think this is a fact. It, it strikes me um, as so ironic. Ironic is not a strong enough word. Is uh, But that the Bible begins with a, uh, the second thing God asks us to do is to take care of the world. And then we have this text you know, in which he, God put so much value on animal life and the world itself. And yet we have, in Western Christianity, have gotten to the place where we are as though the creation care is, you know, is for socialists and <laughs> communists. Yeah. Tree huggers. I'm a, I'm a tree hug. I'm a tree hugger. Y'all don't hug a tree. Every so <laughs> Don't hug I'll a hug pine a tree. tree. Sure. Don't, don't hug a pine tree. They, 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 they have rough bark and they'll get pine. You get pine sap all over your clothes. But maple trees are fun yeah. yeah, pick pick the right tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, so I, 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 go ahead. Yeah, Deborah, I thought you were going to go another way. Theolog and I don't know, Derek, you can shut mm. this down if you want to. Uh, theologically, uh, I have problems with the. Uh, I have problems. I give. I have, I have to pause over the fact that God destroyed the world in the first place. I'm always appalled when I go into a, yeah. a Christian bookstore or something and I see all these little stuffed toys for children to have in their nurseries of. Of the ark of the and the animals going in, yeah, they don't ever have the stuffed toys of the people who are drowning just outside. Yeah, uh, uh, and and it's just not. Uh, it really is rough, and I read it not only as a concession God makes, but it's a sort of a uh, whoops. Um, and I may have overdone that. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean the the children with the cute little arc animals are in for a big shock later on when they realize yeah. what's going on in that story. Right. Uh, yeah. It's um, another, another time when we don't do right by our children and, uh, mm. uh, yeah. and set them up to think that the Bible has got secrets in it that we keep from them until they get to be a certain age. That's it's yeah. Well, and I wonder if, uh, I wonder if this passage that we're focusing on with all of its reassurance and this kind of remembering from the heart of God. I wonder if we need this because sometimes it does seem like God is angry and destructive and has forgotten. Um, so the reassurance is that God remembers in the, in the passage or in the um, writing about this by Walter Brueggemann in his commentary, he's very keen to emphasize how the story says that God's heart is grieved by the wickedness of people. That's why God sends the flood. And then there's this kind of change of heart. And that is, that is a hard teaching for a lot of people for me too, you know, to, I mean, I understand this literarily. It's, it's a story. It's a proclamation as Brueggemann says, 
Um, but this idea that God can change God's heart, that's right in the story, but it's, it's a hard thing to mm -hmm. receive. And I don't think we should take all of our understanding of the character of God from this story, mm -hmm. but I, I think we should, I think what we should take from this is God's heart. Um, mm -hmm. This idea that what we do and what happens in the creation is God is not impassive about uh -huh. that. Um, and, and this obsession with, with harmony and wholeness and the, the thriving of creation that you don't really see in other ancient Near Eastern stories like this. Um, you don't see that kind of grieving heart of the yeah. deity uh -huh. over uh -huh. creation. So uh -huh. It is terrifying, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of these terrifying texts that we just have to continue to grapple with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, at the, at the same time, God uses creation to remind us of God's love for creation. The other piece of this is, is the bow in the sky um it's it's the you know the, the part that we we make overly cute for again for our kids is the is the rainbow part um but it's 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 supposed to be a reminder to us of the preciousness of creation to god so much so that god's mind was changed so much so that seeing the creation, the thing that God made, destroyed, made God go, oops, I overcorrected. Um, <laughs> but by, by, by the way, um, there, 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 are, there are other examples of that in the Bible. One of my favorites mm -hmm. is in uh, Jeremiah 42. I can't, yeah. I think it's verse 10. Uh, Jeremiah's been tasked to ask God whether that group that wants to go to Egypt may go. And God says, no. Uh, but in the time of it, God says, and he uses that big word, nacham, uh, to, to repent, to regret. He said, you know, I kind of regret um, bringing the Babylonians on y'all because they were, they overdid it a little bit. And, 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 and that fascinates me, that image of yeah. um, God called Babylonians to do the deal, but uh, they, they, the Babylonians had some free will in the thing, and they did mm -hmm. not perhaps execute their task precisely the way God wanted them to. I mean, mm -hmm. you know that you know there were children and, and innocents and women and who mm -hmm. were swept up in that whole babylonian thing that that's the problem with war it it uh, i think by the way i think the most insidious phrase in the english language is collateral damage mm. Mm. Uh, but god says you know mm, they i might uh, i might have done it another way if i had realized mm. the babylonians were going to be so vicious yeah um uh, so that um you know i tend to uh, wonder, you know, we, I think we were probably all taught growing up that passages like that are anthropomorphisms. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in God, creating God's image. 
I think part of the, is it an anthropomorphism or is mm. are people theomorphic? I mean, it gets. <laughs> uh, 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 First of all, that's a great word, right? I love that. Well, and I, I think you know, as a literary person, we have to think. Look, these are stories, mm-hmm. and God is using stories for a purpose. So apart from whatever calculations or understandings we do theologically about the character of God, there's a reason the stories present God this way. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the reason is to prompt us to the kind of repentance that quote unquote changes God's mind. Yes. So it, that the story is really there not to like give us a treatise on the nature of God, but to prompt us to the kind of behavior that God is inviting us into. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's too waffly. But... Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with that. I think, I think that there's, I think that what it's, what the story is asking us to do is to think about the ways in which our actions can impact the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's our, that's both mm-hmm. our faithfulness and our lack of faithfulness, mm-hmm. the ways in which those things can impact the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. think that's, that's really what we're, what we're being called to consider in this story is that, mm-hmm. um, but, but, uh, but ultimately that the heart of God can't be hardened to the point that, all of creation is irredeemable, um, which is, I mean, there's, there's so many, so much complexity in this. Um, and, and I, I, I think we could, we could, we could spend a lot of time on that. Um, oh, I, I think this is one of those texts that you could spend a, a lot of time on. Uh, because, because, well, and I don't want to disagree with what you all have said about mm. uh, repentance and story and stuff, but I do think, um, that when you take this event and God's uh, reaction afterward, and you take what I was talking about in Jeremiah, um, mm. I do, do think um, it it can remind us all. It can remind us to cut God some slack, mm-hmm. uh, especially I I, uh, I ponder all, uh, over this question a lot in my spare time, and and these days even more so. And that is the question of God's activity in history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I, I just, if God is going to work through human beings, and God does, then unless God just overwhelms human free will and agency, the likelihood that our effort to carry out God's will is going to be flawed somehow mm-hmm. is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't, I think we, we need to cut, God some slack in that uh, God is trying to operate the universe with very imperfect instruments. If he's using, if God's mm. using us, uh, and mm. how else? How else to do it? I suppose uh, than through us, and that means Abraham and David, scoundrel, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. So yeah. uh, don't 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 blame God for the behavior of God's friends. Uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it, this this covenant promise, right, is a way of saying, yeah. Hey, yeah. "Look, 
I'm I'm telling you, I mean you well. Yeah. And I will, and I always will. And right. I love this creation and right. I mean you well. That's um, right. that that beautiful rainbow and that uh, image in the in the passage. I didn't know this, but it, as I prepared for today, I learned that the Hebrew word does mean both bow, like a bow that you would shoot with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and rainbow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. some people say, "Look, it's the you know, it's the un, um, it's the it's the bow without the arrow pointed at you." Yeah, God right. is saying, "Look, right. this is my weapon. Right. Right. I'm taking its destructive power and setting it down." Um, yeah. there, it's there, also pretty. There, there is there is some Canaanite and Mesopotamian mythology in which the bow is actually the bow of the deity, and it is a, a military thing. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What do you yeah. call a bow without an arrow in it? An unsomething bow, an unarrowed, unloaded? I don't know. What do you say? I, I have no idea. I'm sure there's a term for it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Maybe somebody can write in. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so I think we, we've, we've, we've hit on a lot of the complexities of this story and where, and particularly if we're reading this as a Lenten text, which we are um, for, the, for the first week of Lent, um, where, is there a call, where is there a call to action for the church for this Lent? in regards to how creation shows up and how we show up and how God shows up in relation to creation. Yeah, I suppose the call is to wonder uh, and marvel at this covenant promise and respond to it with gratitude and care for this whole creation that God evidently loves and is committed to. Um, And the emphasis on it's not just people it's mm-hmm. all living things mm-hmm. i think that to respond to that i'm going to quote Brueggemann again he he describes noah as the fully responsive man who accepts creatureliness and lets god be god and i i don't think he means to be passive right i don't think that's what responsiveness means but what what might it mean to be a fully responsive human to god's love for all creation Mm. Uh, and maybe that's a question for Lent, right? How are we fully responsive to God's love and commitment to all creation, to people for sure, but to all creation? Um, so I don't know. I suppose we have to figure that out in our own ways. Mm. Yeah, I, I would just add, I mean, I think we've hinted at this, but we've talked about all living things. But I just went back and double checked. There are two or three places here where God says, and the earth, just the world. Mm. Uh, mm. Then, you know, not just the animate, but the inanimate yeah. as well. Um, Rocks anyway, and trees and skies and seas. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, I thought maybe you'd, we, we would respond to, you know, how do we sp- respond to this? And the answer would be plant a vineyard. Because that's what happens <laughs> in the next section, right? Yeah, now I'd, I'd I'd love to talk about that too. <laughs> you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Apparently, it was I was looking at the ancient commentaries and and somebody I don't remember who it was. Somebody said, "Oh well, obviously Noah took all the manure from the ark and used it to fertilize this vineyard he planted." And I thought that's really ingenious. <laughs> Somebody's well, thinking about that. That's. <laughs> 
Well, also the <laughs> land that would be covered with dead bodies from the flood. That's right. So let's. We, yeah, we what can, else we can, are you going to do with the manure? We we can we can take that a lot of different ways. Um, but that's I, probably I, that's probably why we can't find the ru- uh, the ruins of the ark. The manure caused it to decay. Very yeah, quick. just that's that's got to be why fungus. Um, yeah, yeah micro, microbio microbes were a big part of that new new creation community there. Yeah, yeah. There's also some fun speculation about Noah getting drunk. And one theory was, well, he'd never had wine before. He didn't know what he was doing. And another theory was, well, he hadn't had wine in a long time. He just got carried away. (laughs) I I think the text suggests, actually, that that Noah was the first uh, to discover viticulture. I think the text suggests that. The the Babylonian texts in the background specify that uh, the Noah figure, Utnapishtim, uh, mm. was the first to grow uh, grapes and do wine. Right. He so just he didn't, didn't know. know what he was doing. He just didn't yeah. know what he was doing. This is pretty but, good. I'll yeah. have another glass. But, but, yeah. but, but, it, yeah. but it took off. It took off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It became popular. Yes, it did. So I suppose yeah. you could argue that's the correct response to the covenant promise, but I think there's probably more to it. Mm. Maybe, maybe, um, but maybe not a whole lot to it. I, I think you know where I, where I where I see the call to action here is is um, just the inclusion of creation in in the grace of God mm-hmm. um, and the the inclusion uh, and, and therefore the inclusion uh, the the call for us to include creation in the ways that we express the grace of God, the ways that we express love to those that we would say that God loves, the way that we would express love to neighbor, the way that we would express love to family, that that creation's supposed to be folded into all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that creation's, creation's not excluded from uh, God making promises to it, and therefore maybe we should make some promises to it. Um, maybe we should make some, some, some commitments to it. Maybe we should, um, maybe we should in the same vein also, uh, change our minds, um, Mm, about our hearts hearts about the ways Mm -hmm. that we, we, you know, our, our temper tantrums against creation, uh, Mm. in the past, um, need need to be we need to confess of them and and think of a way forward uh where where we can be you know more in relationship um this is such an ex- i i think reading this this time and, and talking about it with you both you know this is this is such an expansive um view of of god's love um, that's being called for, um, and to be reminded that God's love is not just for humanity. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, 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 and, and I, I just, I, I think that there's so much, there's so much there to, um, to sit with, to, to question, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, 
there's this new community that's being established, much like the community that was established in the creation story. And God's reminder is that all of earth is a part of that community. Um, and so let's make earth a part of that community, our communities. Yeah. And, and recognize that there, there is a responsibility and we, we have limits. I think this is what the early part mm-hmm. of the chapter suggests, just like the tree in the garden, you know, there were certain mm-hmm. limits and there's a kind of accounting for how we yep. manage those limits. So yes, you know, we, we are able to live as we need to live here. We eat each other. <laughs> um, yep. We are part of this physical body, right? And, the, and there's a kind of cyclical process involved in that um but we also have limits and we have responsibility and to mm-hmm. to respond to that responsibility i think with rejoicing and gratitude and not just a kind of sense of resentment but the, the have, a, have, of a, rainbow. have a glass yeah. have a glass have a glass of wine have a glass of wine <laughs> yeah if you may you know if that's appropriate for you but uh yeah this kind of um gratitude for this promise of God um, and, a, and a sort of marveling at God's renewed commitment to mm-hmm. this whole creation that, that God loves. And despite our, our failure to keep up our end of the covenant, mm-hmm. it's a unilateral covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can, if you won't mind me jumping to another part of the Bible uh, mm-hmm. right quick, um, several things that have been said have, have called to my mind Isaiah 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where God instructs the prophet to, to proclaim a good news. And the prophet says, what good news is there to proclaim? Uh, their steadfastness, talking about human beings, their hesed, which is my favorite word from the Bible, mm. uh, is like grass. It withers. Mm. And God says, that's true. But this doesn't depend on their hesed. It depends on mm. mine. Mm. Uh, and yeah. that's, in my mind, that's the gospel right there. Mm. Mm. yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful and and maybe maybe part of what we need to take on or let go of in lent is uh that recognition that it's it's not ours that's keeping the that's sustaining the creation it's not ours it's not our love. It's not our faithfulness that's sustaining the creation. Mm-hmm. It's God's faithfulness that's sustaining the creation. Um, yeah. And thanks be to God for that. Yeah. Deborah, Mark, thank you for this. This thank, was thank, a wonderful thank, conversation. And thank I feel you. like we, we probably could have gone up for another hour. <laughs> I think so. Uh, but I will say that this was... Thank you for joining us for the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was produced by Sprocket Wagner, and the music was provided by Christian McIver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. Leave us a comment to let us know how you've used the show and how we can make it more useful for your ministry. You'll learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages 
God speaks and is heard in the entering word calls us to care for our world as we share the love that can set creation free restoring the earth to wholeness peace and harmony let the songs of the water land and sky resound Cause together we're all bound Within these pages There's always new life to be found 